Welcome back to Twins Talk TV, The Peripheral. This is Beep. You can reach me on Twitter at Beepsplain, and I am joined by Mick. And you can find me on Twitter at MickNick1291. So today we're covering episode 108, the finale of season one. And we are going to go through a scene by scene, but first we need to take just a couple minutes to squeal because I loved this episode. So go. I loved it. I thought the name of the episode, The Creation of a Thousand Forests, was like when I first saw the title, I was like, Creation of a Thousand Forests, this sounds like it's going to be a stupid finale. And then the finale happened and I finished it and I was filled with so much glee and like the way they interwove the pilot back with the finale and the way that there are this this episode is full of tons of storylines tons of them but none of them actually ultimately matter the only one that matters is Flynn's and so really you could boil down this episode to like the 20 minutes of Flynn and cut everything else out and it's fine <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I would take it that far but I, I totally get what you're saying it's almost like there's two separate things going on there's like everybody else and then Flynn and I think that when we get season two, yep, I'm just claiming it, then there are so many like little pieces that can get worked into all this. And basically none of them got resolved. And I am 100% totally fine with that because of the way it was completely character focused. Everybody's moment was character focused. It was all character focused moments. Like there, there wasn't, if you think about like what plot actually happened, like it was all just character beats for for everybody. And what I love about where I'm just going to jump to the final moment and we can talk about it more after we get through it, but ultimately in this episode Flynn creates a new stub. Right? But mm-hmm. what she tells Sharice when Sharice and her are bantering like evil masterminds do, Flynn is like, "You don't know what time I'm setting the stub from, and neither do we." Right? We have absolutely no idea when this new stub off links from the stub that we've been in. So there's no way of knowing what things we saw in this episode are actually going to be relevant because we don't know what time she picked. Exactly. And I have so many theories and thoughts about that. So we better actually jump in before I get bogged down there. Yeah, we we need to actually tell you about the episode, but we both (laughs) loved every second of it. It was just, it's such fantastic finessed storytelling in a way where like you get answers and you get more questions, but it doesn't leave you like if you guys know that we've been a little bit frustrated with some previous episodes where we were like, when are they going to feed us the meal? Well, they gave us the meal and then they also gave us the menu for like the next meal. Oh, that's such a great way to put it. And I'm like torn because I'm full, but I'm also just like starving at the same time. (laughs) Starving. Yes. We're going to go back to our metaphors. We're just going to metaphor the hell out of you guys. I mean, bring back the toast, (laughs) bring back the the meal with Lev at the end. This makes no sense. So we're going to go ahead and start back in 2028, where Flynn is sitting with Connor as he kind of wakes up. You can tell that he has healed a bit, but is still in the hospital after the explosion. And they have a conversation that is, I I didn't clock as like the most incredible foreshadowing, 
really, because it's so relevant to so many things. But here we go. Because he's talking to Flynn about her Sims and, you know, how the, how she likes doing that. And it's because, you know, you, you get to try again, you get a reboot. But he says, that's the thing about chess, checkmate, and you're fucking done. That's what makes life so hard. No rebooting. Yeah. And really, they could have called this episode Reboot, and it would have worked just as well as the creation of A Thousand Forests. But I love, one, I love seeing the relationship between Connor and Flynn in this flashback. They have such a sibling relationship. It's similar to Burton and Flynn's, but different in a way where it's more, I I almost want to say it's more open. Yes, I agree with that. I think that there's a part of Burton that can't let go of how much he wants to protect her. And Connor is more open to seeing like her strengths and just letting Flynn be Flynn. Yeah. And that's, I think, a lot of what this episode is about is letting Flynn be Flynn. Yeah, this is where she really comes into her own. If she was any younger, you know, we call it a coming of age story. But in this case, it's almost just like embracing your destiny for something you never thought would happen. And and now you've been plunged into a situation where you, I mean, you have choices. You can do nothing and let everybody die. Or you can step up and find some sort of solution and be the reluctant hero. And she fully embraces that by the end, and there's no reluctance left in final scene Flynn. No, she is just the hero. She is just the hero. But I also really like how Connor ties in the discussion. He's like, I've been thinking about you and your Sims, how you can go back and reboot, wishing that I were able to do that. Go back to that moment with the dog and just shoot it because he's regretting his decision. He he thinks in the grand scheme, and you can see this throughout the season, you can see that he was like I played the game of chess that is life and I fucking got checkmated so hard but I'm I'm at the point in the game where I have my king left and I just keep shifting it place to place just trying desperately not to die have you ever played chess and gotten to that point where you only had the king and you were just like dodging and weaving and just hoping <laughs> that the, the player who had more pieces than you couldn't get you into checkmate? Right. <laughs> You're just like, and one, and it's like a, a delicate dance of one spot at a time. Yeah. And I feel like that's the point that Connor has reached. And I think that that's why we see him throughout the be- the beginning of the show before he discovered that there is a whole new life that he could be living. He was done with life. He had been checkmated. He just hadn't officially died yet. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with that. That's a great way to put it because he just, he's literally just moving a little bit back and forth to make sure that he doesn't die. But that's kind of how low he is. Yeah. So that's our cold open. And it was just, it was a very good scene, obviously. So we get our credit sequence and then we go to Corbell's house where Tommy exits And he takes the pistol and the sonic boom, boom, doodad. And he puts them back into their evidence bags. And his hands are shaking a little bit. And he stares at his his radio. And he's like, fuck, I got to call this in. I got to call this in. And he does eventually call it in. And we jump cut to seemingly an hour later, some, some short duration later, where the cops are there. And they're taking the sheriff's body out. 
And Tommy kind of freaks out for a second because he realizes that there is the sheriff's blood on his shoe from when he shot him. So he's like sitting there scrubbing his shoe to try and get the blood off because that's evidence that he was there and that Bob didn't kill the sheriff. And as he's doing that, an officer comes up and he's like, hey, deputy, we got a pulse. And we see that Corbell is not, in fact, dead. No, he's very comatose, which is actually all we'll see of him for the rest of the episode, which is a very cool setup. Tommy, I think you're right. I think he did that as, you know, oh my gosh, I have to remove this evidence. But I also think he did that as just freaking out. Like, oh my God, that actually happened. Get it off of me. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So as they're taking the sheriff's body out and they're realizing that Corbell has a pulse, three cops that are in the room get some sort of notification and they all like leave in a hurry. And there's a shooting at Dee Dee's clinic and they ascertain that it must be the perp that killed the sheriff and comatose, comatized, comatized. We'll use that word. Sure. Corbell. So we cut to Tommy arriving at Dee Dee's clinic and seeing the fishers, seeing mama in the ambulance and he sees Dee Dee and they run over and they embrace each other. So this is where they've said, like, there's a suspect at large. And I'm just like, no, he's he's super dead. And <laughs> I'm kind of wondering if this sets up anything. I guess it all happens so quickly. And it's not like they're sending in CSI. But, like, Bob was dead before they were. And if anybody at that scene is giving witness statements, it might get swirly. Yes. it. That's a really good point. I didn't think of that. Well... No, yeah, they died about the same time. So regardless, there's an issue. Right, because it's not like he hop, skipped, and jumped over to the clinic and then got killed. In what weird process? I mean, why is everybody there? Yeah, that's a very good point. There's a lot of gaps in this logic, but I'm going to go ahead and say that the Corbell-controlled police force of Clayton County, Mm -hmm. not a bunch of gumshoes. No, probably not. Probably not. They might not look that far into it, but it's, it is something that could pop back up because the timing is really suspect on all of these things. And I, you know, I mean, that's just me like playing law and order, but it, it might not turn out to be anything, but I, I did clock it. As somebody who's binged eight seasons of SVU in the past two weeks, let me tell you, those guys would be like, no, 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 this did not happen. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Bring in Olivia Benson and this story just shifted. Yeah. So the other thing that I clocked that I hate because now he has, even though I think in a lot of ways it was almost necessary, Tommy has put himself in quite a situation because he immediately has to start lying. And he lies to Dee Dee. For the first time, when she keeps prodding about that man killed the sheriff, that man killed the sheriff. And it's like, yep, he sure did. And I hate that for him because we already know how much of like, you know, a little golden hearted, awesome guy he is. And oof, I, I hesitate to even want to go down the path of what this might do to him. I think your idea that this could come back in season two, when we get a season two, because we are in fact getting one, we're declaring it, we're putting it into the ether, it's going to happen. We need a plot line for Tommy to keep him around. And just in like the parlance of storytelling and in TV, 
there needs you can't just have a character that doesn't have some sort of turmoil or or issue to deal with because that's not interesting television. So this coming back or him becoming sheriff and like getting pressured to investigate this or something along those lines is definitely a very interesting story arc for him to go through in season two. Yeah, because right now they have a dead perp and I highly doubt that's going to be acceptable for anybody. I, I just feel like a real vigilante justice thing that might start here for everybody being so mad about the sheriff and trying to to do that. But let's maybe cut instead. <laughs> yeah, that's where we, we jump back to 2032, where we are we're at a meeting of the minds. <laughs> have, yeah, I mean, literally, yes. <laughs> we have Lobeer, Beatrice, Wilf, and then we have our three polted perfs. I need to stop. We have Flynn, Burton, and Connor. And they are having a meeting with Lobeer. And Lobeer basically presents or proposes an alliance. Mm-hmm. I have the actual line. She goes, I'd like to propose an alliance. I have resources that could prove quite empowering it to you in your world. And it appears that you have the capacity to act in mine in ways that might be beyond me. So she's saying, you know how like you and your mom had that conversation about how you didn't have any power and you were just running around being like a lapdog to all these powerful forces? Lobier is the first person that's like, no, I'm treating you like an equal because I'm admitting to you that you have power in this world and that gives you leverage. Right, because for the first time, it's not an agreement that they wanted her to help with. If Lobier wants to get anywhere in this fight, she needs Flynn. Yes. But Flynn and her compatriots most assuredly need a strong, powerful ally. And Lobier has offered that in a way that, you know, Lev and Sharice, any of them definitely did not. No, because she's treating Flynn as an equal at the offer table here. And she points out, your world is on the threshold of its own jackpot. And I believe in my own way, I can help you navigate the coming storm. And this is when Lobier is like, since we're equals at this table coming to an agreement, now is the ideal moment for you to issue any ultimatums or demands you may have. And I think that Flynn is taken aback because she's like, wait, I have power? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as we know, there's only one thing that she wants out of life, at least for right now, and that is for Mama to be permanently healed. And when she asked for that, Lobier just like zones out as if she left a peripheral, right? It's just like, yeah, she dead. just zonks out. And everyone's kind of like, what, what the fuck's going on? And Beatrice is like, oh, she's consulting the aunties. And unfortunately, this is the only line that Beatrice has in the episode, which is just a real bummer. It really is. It is. But. The aunties are awesome, if I may say so. I don't know how they're linked to them exactly. Obviously, there's some sort of, you know, direct access that she has, but totally digging the aunties. And I hope that that comes back as something, you know, important as we go along. Lobier comes back and says, it appears that Mr. Zubob's technicals have already attempted everything possible. And Flynn's like, wait, so you can't help her? And Lobier, with as much caring as she can muster because this woman doesn't break ever 
you can just see a slight tinge of like genuine like sorrow where she's like, I'm afraid not. The auntie's best estimate is that your mother has another 554 hours to live, approximately 23 days. I definitely got the impression here that as much as, like you said, she doesn't break, she kind of holds her cards close to her chest. This is very much Lobier being a person who is conveying, I know what this is like. I lost my daughter. You know, and Flynn doesn't know said daughter is essentially sitting right next to her. Oh, the possibilities if they uh, get peripheral information in, in the past, they can just recreate Mama. Ooh. Hmm. We shall see. Let's give that actress work, you guys. Let's give her work. <laughs> Keep everybody on. So Flynn takes that news about as well as we would expect Flynn to take that news. Finding out that her worst fear is, in fact, coming true. Uh-huh. And... Were that her actual body, she would have gotten up and run out. Oh, wait, she does. But she immediately is like, and disconnect, and is running through the print shop. And it's such a small moment, but I absolutely love that Burton goes after her. And he doesn't say anything. He doesn't try to convince her of anything. In fact, we're at such a point of view where it looks like we're not really supposed to be intruding on this moment. And he just holds her. And lets her fall apart. What I love about Burton's reaction is like it's very obvious that Flynn, because there's like a little warbling noise, and then Flynn's like peripheral like go- goes into AI mode, mm-hmm. and Burton just sighs and is like, "I'll go after her." And Lobier, not upset that like somebody ran out on this negotiation, is just like, "Please do." Like, she, like genuinely, like, yeah, go take care of your sister. And I like what you pointed out that we're like voyeurs on this scene between Burton and Flynn we're in the point of view. And we see ourselves as like Macon in the print shop, watching them through the glass. So like, we're not privy to this moment between these siblings, Mm -hmm. but we are aware that it's happening. Right. Yeah. It was, it was so meant though, to just be their moment that even in public, we got an awkward angle and an awkward view because it's it's just not for us yeah so we cut to this evening where flynn has presumably relayed this death sentence to mama and i really like what ella says here she says i know you're sad flynn but i had a strange feeling when i first found out about the glioma concerning you I was laying there in that exam room, just kind of letting it wash over me. And I found myself thinking, well, maybe it's not all bad. Maybe Flynn will really get to live her life now. This is devastating. This is devastating on so many levels because mama is admitting, like, "I, I know what you've done for me. I know that there was no way you were not going to do this for me, but I hate that you had to do this for me. Because of the time that it's taking away from you. And then you have Flynn on the other side going, but this is exactly what I wanted to do. It might not be, you know, it might not be what I would have chosen as my own path in life. But of course, there's no way I wouldn't have done this for you. And so they're at this kind of crossroads where they're both thinking the same thing. But for one of them, it's like, I'm so happy you'll move on. And for the other one, it's like, I'm not as happy you're going to move on. Yeah, and I think that 
Mama's not only referencing when she got sick and Flynn had to become her primary caretaker, like when she lost the vision and then they discovered the glioma. Because we've learned in the past, like Burton went to war and that was really hard on the family. Papa died. Mm-hmm. That was really hard on the family. A lot of things happened that were really hard on the family, especially on Mama, because like her husband dying. That's really difficult. Burton going and fighting in a war. That's really difficult on a mother. And Flynn had to be that rock that held everything together for everyone. Burton got back from the war, was fucked up. She had to be the rock that held their family together. So at every turn, Flynn has had to be a support system holding up. What is the Greek? Who's the guy in Greek mythology that's like hold up? Like Atlas? Yeah, Atlas. She had to be like Atlas. Because literally the weight of the world is on his shoulders. Yeah, she literally has the weight of the world on her shoulders. And she has done that with minimal reservation. We, we've we seen outbursts from her, like when she had the, the full seizure, uh, where she like flipped the shit at Burton and was like, I'm the one that's held everything together. We've seen, so there is some resentment for it, but she also wouldn't have it any other way. And so we're seeing that Mama was aware And she couldn't do anything about it because she didn't have the capability to be that rock. But Flynn did. And she's sitting here and she's like, yeah, I'm sad that I'm going to die. But at the same time, I'm setting my daughter free to actually live a life for the first time. Right. Oh, that's that is just so brutal on both sides. There's there. To the point where they basically, they said all the words they could say, because where else do you go with this? It's horrible. And then before Mama's pills fully kick in and she takes a quick siesta, she tells Flynn, your father used to call you our little acorn when you were a baby. Because even though you were just a tiny thing, he could sense the power and strength inside you waiting for its chance to grow, just like a big old oak tree. Which I think that just put the nail in the coffin that Mama has won this argument. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing for Flynn to say back. And I, she, as she was falling asleep in that moment, it's kind of like, okay, now I can go and breathe and bitch and scream and yell into a pillow if I need to because I hate this so much. Because she hasn't, she had time to kind of like fall apart with Burton, but this is also going to make her, you know, super angry, I think, with the, I mean, that's just grief. With the universe. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> that is exactly grief when you're angry at everything and everyone for for the shit that's happened to you. And there's nothing you can do about it except be angry. Yeah. And I think that this is a big catalyst, too, for what she's about to do. Not just because she told her, you know, you have power and strength, but it's just like, I couldn't save her and I am freaking over this other bullshit that's going on. So, like, come at me. I think that... The fact that she can't save Mama and her mom is like, I've been holding you back. I think this conversation is the catalyst that makes Flynn realize, one, I want to kill Sharice Newland because this bitch has been like fucking with my shit. But also, like we were just talking about, when you grieve, you get angry and you get angry at the world because there's there's nobody that you can blame for what's happened. But in this case... There's somebody that she can blame, not for what happened, because her mom was going to die regardless. But I think in part for taking her away from time she could spend with her mom. Right. And then two, for constantly trying to kill her. Like, come on. She put her mom at risk to die earlier than she was going to die, naturally. 
And then all of this drama with Sharice trying to kill her for playing a sim and accidentally downloading some shit into her brain space. Which is not going well for her, by the way. No, it's it's fucking her up a ton. It's not like she's excited about having this information. But what happens is she's been away from her mom. She's been preoccupied. She's been, they've been burying bodies in the backyard. She's been going to the print shop to go spend time in the future. She's been doing all these other things when she could have been spending it with the one person that she never wanted to lose. So I think that all of her rage and anger and emotion that she's feeling about losing her mom is getting, is getting directed. I think rightfully so on Sharice because that bitch, (laughs) that bitch indeed. I think the other thing is because mama was healed, they assumed, right? And they brought her into the conversation and she knows what's going on. I think that there's a part of Flynn that's going to feel or does feel some guilt because it's like, we thought you were better and we took advantage of that, of the idea that you would be here. Yeah. And now you're not going to be here. And it's even, like you said, it's even faster than it would have been if nobody interfered. Yeah, it's it's just a crapshoot. So... We cut from that really powerful scene to a diabolical scene between Ash and Sharice. Ash, Ash, Ash. Oh, my sweet baby Ash. I still love you, but I question your decision making. I, You know what's hard about a scene like this, though, is I don't agree with her, but I understand where she's coming from. That is the sign of really good character development when you don't necessarily agree with a character, but they've developed this character enough and explained why they're doing what they're doing that we are like, I wouldn't do this or I don't agree with what you're doing, but like I can a hundred percent see given the conditions of your circumstances, why you would be driven to make this decision. Sure. And when you think about it too, for us being like not omniscient, but certainly So compared to her knowledge, you know, we're like, you don't get it. Flynn's a hero, but she doesn't know that. She's working with the information that she has. And what she has is Flynn's brain has all the information from the RI and Lev knows about it. And he's part of the cleft. She doesn't want them to get the information. And she knows. I mean, they've done a really great job over the past few episodes showing how absolutely and utterly psycho he is. You know, things like having his own family in the past and the stub killed because there can't be duplicates. I mean, this dude's insane. So I can understand why drastic measures, you know, would need to be taken in her mind to get away from this, especially after what he did to Ossian. Like, what are you going to, who's going to hurt Ossian? Be real. That guy, he's no threat to you. He's a puppy dog. So, so Ash basically is like, I know that the data Alita stole is in Flynn's brain. Lev knows about it. And I don't want to live in that world where the cleft have that access. And she's choosing the lesser of the evils because she, so I think, cause she's, she's obviously on the sides of the neoprims and that's her number one. Her number like 75 million is the cleft mm-hmm. on her list. Like, so she's like, oh, fuck, now the CLEP know about this and they're going to get their hands on it. I wanted to give it to the Neoprims, but the CLEP having it is worse than the RI having it. 
So who am I going to turn to? Mm-hmm. And it's Sharice who basically has all the power in the world in certain ways, especially when it comes to the stub. So she's like, can you stop this? Because Sharice is like, well, what about Lobeer? Like, we've got Inspector Lobeer. And Ash, and this is what I really disagreed with, because just because we're on Flynn's side and we like Lobeer, Ash is like, she clearly has her own agenda. I don't know what it is, but you can't depend on her to fix it. You have to stop him yourself. So she effectively moves Lobeer's piece on the board with that admission. Well, she doesn't necessarily have all the pieces. Right. Right. But it makes sense what she's thinking. I mean, Lobier came in, took everyone away, doesn't want her hearing what's going on. I mean, everything looks very secretive to Ash. This is obviously my perspective as as a viewer of the show who gets to see the entire chessboard. Well, like as much as the chessboard as the showrunners will let us see, because I'm sure it's much larger than we think. (laughs) For sure. It's just it's interesting that she is going to the very source of the information to try to keep the information from getting stolen. But I will say the one thing that's pretty smart about that is like Sharice has the information. It's not, it's not like this is something she doesn't know about. So, I mean, like you said, in this case, lesser of two evils because she already has access to it. So whatever she was going to do, she was going to do anyway. Right. So it was like plan A was get it to the neoprims, have them do what they wanted to do with it. Plan never happening was the clapped getting their hands on it. So undo plan A, which is get that data back to RI who already had it and we're already fucking shit up with it because we that's an evil we know. Right. Exactly. And she then goes on to ask Sharice <laughs> to kill Lev and then Sharice kind of throws it back at her. And I think part of this is like, I need you to have some skin in this game. You can't, because she could be coming to her for any number of reasons. Right. And so she's like, yeah, I'll kill him. Do you want to participate? And she's like, why do you want him dead anyway? Ash literally says a breach of etiquette. (laughs) And flashes back to uh, Lev slicing Ossian's face. But that is such a great little phrase to put to Sharice. She's like, oh, I get that. (laughs) She's like, oh, a breach of etiquette? Sounds about fucking right. Let's go. I have killed people pluralists. So she's basically saying, like, I'm going to have to take more drastic measures than I wanted to. But this made my blood run cold. Because when she talked about the cost, she didn't say anything about, like, the billions of people that exist in this stub she says the cost is the research that they'll lose by pushing the jackpot up which like holy shit i think that ash and ossian and alita and wilf obviously view and lobeer to an extent obviously Mm -hmm. view the people in the stub as people But these big power players like Sharice and Lev, they don't see them as people because they're like, oh, it's a a, a different timeline that we created. Like, it wouldn't exist if it weren't for us. Therefore, we are gods of this world. And it is our choosing of what to do with with these pawns. If we decide to kill all of them, well, who cares? They wouldn't have existed without us anyway. And it's just a really fucked up mindset to have because – 
They are people living their lives. You created the world they're in. Yes, there's no question about that. You created a stub, but it's its own organism. It's its own. It's like you gave birth to a new being and it's its own organism. It's growing. It's learning. It's developing. It's making its own mistakes. But you're it. I mean, Sharice is like a really fucked up parent who's like fucking with with a newborn child and leading it to its own destruction for her own gain. Right, right. A to them a timeline is like a terrarium. We're just yeah. going to go ahead and fuck with everything that's inside of there and that's fine. Yeah, it's just a really fucked up mindset and I think that we really get to see that highlighted when she's like we're going to lose all of this research and you know in Ash's head because Ash is team Neoprim who is led by Alita we've basically figured out at this point is like no I think they're people yeah <laughs> I think they're people I no, I don't I don't agree with you but I'm making a deal with the devil here yeah so that she just has to go with it I guess it's it's a really it's a really fucked up like line in that conversation it, yeah it is Go to Nia Miller. Like, just creeped me the fuck out. She's, Constantly. She's amazing. And, before, and like, Sharice is done with this conversation. But Ash has one question. She's like, what is the drastic step that you're going to take? And Sharice basically is just like, I have to f- force the jackpot to happen a lot sooner so that it kills everybody, including Flynn. And there we go. Problem solved. And she says, I will cut off a limb to save the whole body. That's very tree-like obviously limb but to me it's like the the limbs of the timelines which is like so freaky so because she could just theoretically we're gonna get to it shortly but Lobier has already talked about if I could sever the connection so apparently even though she doesn't have that power it is a thing potentially Charisse would one would assume actually has that power but she's like, no, nah, I think I'm just going to like nuke all of them. How about that? And I mean, I guess I guess I was overselling. I guess she's not killing billions of people. But good Lord, like leveling towns and sending out leftover radiation. I mean, it's plenty. Well, we've seen the result of the jackpot. Accelerating the jackpot is just causing the absolute mayhem that happened in Sharice's timeline to happen in Flynn's where they don't have the technology developed that they had when the jackpot first happened. So it's effectively handicapping humanity in this stub from being able to reach the point post-jackpot that the 2100 timeline has reached. So basically what Sharice is saying is what they referenced in episode four was that the terrorist attack on the nuclear missile silo was, quote unquote, the end. So, but it sounds like it doesn't happen for about another four decades. So everything had been kind of falling apart up to that point. But Sharice is just like, well, guess we'll just go ahead and I mean, she's not accelerating it. She's just jumping to the end to the end. Skip to the end. It'll be fine. Scorched Earth. Literally. <laughs> so then we cut over to Flynn and Wilf. Yeah, Flynn uh, re-enters the peripheral, and Wilf and AI-controlled Flynn were both sitting peacefully at the same bench where Wilf explained how 
most of the world is augmented reality because there aren't actually that many people around, but it makes you feel a little bit better about that. I love that here, because this is kind of the first time I feel like he's opened up to her without being prodded. He specifically apologizes for presenting the fact or presenting it as a fact that they could save her mother. Presenting a possibility as a certainty. Exactly. He knew the whole time, eh, that might not work. But in his quest for Alita, and obviously by Lev's direction, he tried to act like it would. And for him to just step up and apologize for that without asking or without her prodding him about anything, I thought was really, really good. So Flynn says that maybe they can still save his sister, but Wilf doesn't really can't really see around the fact of Alita being dead. So Flynn grabs Wolf's hand, which is something we've seen her do with more frequency. And it's like a very caring gesture as she apologizes to Wolf for the fact that, you know, his sister is most likely dead. And Wolf kind of glances down every single time she does this, he glances down kind of surprised at the fact that she's showing such a caring gesture to him. It's like he can't quite understand what her motives are or why she keeps doing it is how I read it. I could be reading too much into a simple glance, but that is what I do when I watch TV. Yeah, and I gather it would be easy to believe or easily to assert that Wilf has probably never had a relationship in his life that was truly close and open besides with Alita. And But he has been around people that are horrible. So yes. I, I think that it's safe to say Wilf doesn't really know in a lot of ways what it looks like to be truly cared for, truly liked, or truly, you know, worried about outside of Alita. Like, that's his person. So for anybody else to act like they specifically care about him and, like, not just the mission and not what Alita has, not this information or the downloads, just him and like, where is your sister? I think it's completely overwhelming for him. Yeah. So Wolf lets go of Flynn's hand and walks to the waterfront and Flynn follows. And Wolf basically gives us his entire life story, which I have outlined in great detail. So I will run through that. Please do. He says that he keeps feeling like he's missing something obvious and that he's just too close to see it. So he's talking about something about Alita, like he, he should be able to find her, but is he's just missing he's missing something obvious. Uh, it's like that thing when the, there's a word on the tip of your tongue and you just can't fucking figure out the word. That's like Wolf's entire life right now. (laughs) Well, it's very much to kind of a callback to the issue he was having, you know, with the where snow last fell in London. And of course, you know, when Flynn heard that, she figured it out. Theoretically, because she's removed from the situation, but practically because plot. Yeah. I mean, it, it just needs to happen right now. So that's where we go. It seems to like here, it might be a weird time for... Wilf to recount his past, but it turns out to be extremely important. Yeah. So he starts and he says that Alita told him that he had a home when he was young, that he used to talk about it, a lawn sloping down to a pond. But his first memories are of the transit camp where there were food queues and he remembers rain falling on a blue tarp that was the roof to their their abode. He remembers a woman's face who he's always chosen to believe was his mother. But he believes also that it's just a fantasy of his mind that he's making it up because he doesn't really remember anything. Flynn asks, what about your father? 
And Wolf explains they took all the men away early on, and he has no memories of the raids of the camp, but Alita told him how they burned them out, and and Alita ended up taking charge of him after his family died, presumably. So we're seeing flashbacks between... We're seeing Wilf and Flynn talking, but we're getting flashbacks of, of these different memories. So we see a house that slopes down to a pond. We see them standing in food queues. We see the roof of a, like a ramshackle house that is a tarp. We see a glimpse of, of a woman. And then we see flashes of an army force moving into these camps and lighting things on fire and destroying everything. And so Wilf explains that Alita took charge of him and he would have died without her. So Flynn asks where they went after that. Wilf explains they went to the streets, the ruins for almost three years. And then he did something stupid, which is the flashback that we saw in a previous episode where Wolf went to explore the aid camp against Alita's wishes, but to prove himself to the jackass leader boy. And they ended up getting captured. They were cleaned up. Alita fought to keep them together. She always pined for that life, though, the life when they were free. So she didn't like getting adopted into a family and having a home. She wishes that they were still on the streets living that free life, which she what she describes as when they were free. Mm. And then after with Alita yearning for that life, Wilf and Alita ran off after a few years of adoption. Alita had planned it, squirreled away supplies, mapped their route back. And they lasted for about eight months in their own little kingdom. And he kind of jokingly is like, we even made a flag for it. And the logo for the flag was a hand missing a thumb. And Flynn is like, that's kind of weird. Why? And Alita used to say that we'd all lived in a paradise once before we evolved into what we are. She claimed every sin of ours originated with the opposable thumb, the ability to grip, tools, weapons, throats. It gives me chills, like literally right now. And just, I mean, what a worldview for like someone who's probably 15 or something. Yeah, if even, which is where I think we can kind of ascertain that she's always been a neoprim before neoprims were a thing. Flynn asked what happens after the eight months. Like, why, why did you stop? Well, Wilf fell sick. And he would have died. So Alita brought him back in. She gave up everything. And they went back into society. And they stopped living that free life that Alita yearned for. And Flynn tells Wilf, well, she really loved you. So she was willing to sacrifice that life to keep you alive. Like she was willing to sacrifice that happiness because it wouldn't have been worth anything without Wilf there. I'm paraphrasing. I'm reading into it, obviously. but. But that, you know, she's like, she loved you. And if anyone knows what she's saying right now, it's Flynn. Yeah. Who gave up her life to take care of everybody. So then Wilf comes out of flashback mode and he gets back to business. And he said, Inspector Lobears asked me to have a word with you about her proposal. But I'm afraid I'm not quite certain what to say because one must always assume she can hear us should she choose it. And Flynn's kind of like, 
there's something you want to tell me you feel like you can't. So why don't we just go ahead and do what we did before and we'll just link up and I'll be (laughs) able to ascertain what you mean just through feeling. Ooh. (laughs) This is a sex scene. (laughs) In a lot of ways. This is this is probably more intense than a sex scene. That is true. That is true. But she gets what she's looking for. She asks him about Lev, and he clearly hates him. And asks about Alita, and his little flashbacks clearly indicate that he loves Alita, which is not news. I, I gather, like, my guess is you can't really lie in these situations. No, because it's your... It's your feelings. What she's able to read is how he feels about the person based off of his emotional response to hearing the name. It's kind of like the test that Lobier was giving Flynn, but so much deeper and like at a level where you can't lie. And and she does she does ask how you feel about Lobier. And it's kind of I think what we we read. From his response to Lobier, it flashes to her going, I'd like to propose an alliance, which I think means that he believes it's in their best interest to align with Lobier. Yeah, I think he's coming around to her. I mean, obviously, he's never had good interactions or maybe any because we don't really follow him to that point with the Met police, especially the you know inspectors. But I feel like from that, I- I'm with you that he was kind of like, this is the way that I'm leaning. And then I'm going to let you take the last two people she, that he asked. She asked <laughs> him about. This is the best. He's about to let go, right? Because those are the people. That's that's who we need to know about. And then she's like, Flynn Fisher. <laughs> and she's still got him and they're still linked. And he is flashing back to the moments that they've had throughout the show that clearly shows He's into her. He's been thinking about her. He has, but this isn't, you know, like he's not giving her a pickup line. He's like showing her his heart right now. And if you are not a nuanced viewer of TV, they, he flashes back to the kiss they shared like seven times. Yeah. <laughs> just in case just you in were case curious. You didn't get it. <laughs> He didn't just flip through that and be like, not important, not important. It's what he came back to every time. But then he does turn the tables a little bit when he says his own name to her, Will Netherton. And she does the same thing. Yeah, we got ourselves a little bit of a love story going. Yeah, we got a serious shipper moment right here. But it was also like, it's so cool. You know, I think the way they did this is really, really neat. Because like you said, it's on that deeper level. It's not like, I'm lusting after you. I have all this. Like, they very much care for one another. And it's it's almost like she realized, because there's so often she can't get anything out of him, like, this was her opportunity to have that conversation without having that conversation. Yeah. When I saw that scene, like, I, I was, I don't actively ship Wilf and Flynn like I don't want to read fan fiction about them because I don't feel like it's necessary because the way their relationship has been developing has been so interesting to watch and it's not the show is like yeah maybe they have feelings for each other maybe they don't but 
they're not the most important part of the show. The plot is. So giving us this moment where it is plot relevant for us to, but like they slip it in, but it ends up being pretty plot relevant, I think, for what ends up happening, the decisions that are made. I, th- I think that it, it motivates the characters moving, moving forward, knowing that how the other feels about each other. Well, I think they just amped up their trust levels too. Yeah. Like, I see you. I understand truly what's going on with you now. And it was a little nugget for the shippers. Oh, great shipper moment. And it was also the moment I think that Flynn got confirmation because she had been concerned that he did that earlier, no, because Burton made the comment that it can feel almost like love. And I think she's been trying to sort that out ever since, like how I feel about him. But when she sees that he feels the same way and it wasn't just like a ploy, I think that that makes them more of a team in 2100, especially because who's left? I mean, besides this proposal with Lobier, which obviously she was going to go to him about anyway, there are no allies left. Yeah. So then we have to get back to the plot after this beautiful character moment. So Flynn goes, wait, where was that? And Wolf's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, the hand and no thumb, your secret place. Where, where was that? And Wolf is like, oh, God, this is just like that time you figured out about the snow. <laughs> I am so dumb. Thank you, Plot. I feel like they use Wolf a lot to just be like, I don't know. Oh, wait, that makes perfect sense. Why didn't I think of it? Because we didn't need you to until this moment, Will. Exactly. You, my friend, are a plot mechanic, and we love you for it. Yeah, everybody gets caught up in it sometimes, and that's fine. It's his turn. Well, and then we see, then we view, because they start walking off, because presumably Wilf is going to lead Flynn to the location of their secret place, the forest. But before they, as they're walking away, we shift views from our regular camera view of us in their reality to the all seeing magic eight ball view that Ash often utilizes because Ash and Ossian are keeping an eye on them. And Ossian is like, uh, should we call Zubov? And Ash goes, no, we serve a new master now. Oh, so creepy. And I'm like, okay, who is that? Is that Sharice? Is that yourself? Is that Alita? Is like, who is this new master? Because I don't think it's Sharice. You don't think so? I don't want to believe that they would be feeding in. I, it probably is Sharice. I just don't want to believe it. So I'm going to say that I don't. Even though that's what the show is telling us, me as a person who doesn't want to believe it is saying it's not true. But it is. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be, though. Ash could be running some game elsewhere. We don't, we don't really know what's going on with Ash right now. She just made herself kind of wild. She made herself a major player in this game. She did. She did. She she elevated herself. I'm not sure that was her goal exactly, but that's, yeah, that's absolutely where we are. She put herself in danger. She put herself in more of a a position of power and yet less of a position of power. They're still staying at Lev's, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's very scary considering what's about to come up. We we have like the major players in this game are Sharice, Lev, Lobier, Flynn is at the table. And now Ash has made herself a player at that table. Mm-hmm. So I come to this area that's supposedly the forest. 
and there is most assuredly no forest there. Some trees around, but it's a very open... It's like a park. Yeah, a little park area, and some people are kind of chilling around, but Flynn is like, wait a minute, I know this stuff isn't real these days, so she turns down whatever the... Whatever the magic is here. And the augmented reality magic that makes it yep. seem like there are actually people on Earth. And there is one that remains. And it is creepy child Alita. <laughs> Sorry, kids are always creepy to me and stuff like this. And she agrees to speak with Wilf, but not Flynn. And for a second, it's like, seriously, you drug her into this. But then she's like, eyes and ears. She shares hers with others. Isn't that right, Ash? And blatantly calls out Ash for watching and being involved in what Flynn has going on. And then she threatens. She's like, she can leave of her own accord or I can send her myself. And then Wolf is like, okay. Because a little child, Alita, pulls out a pistol and aims it right at uh, Flynn. So he's like, like, she's leaving one or the other. Like, I can kill her peripheral, which is going to cause you a headache because your girlfriend ain't coming back until we fix it. Mm-hmm. Or <laughs> she goes home. So Wilf tells her, go home. I'll tell you everything. I give you my word. And I think for the first time, Flynn actually believes him. And it harkens back to that moment when he said, I don't know to something. And she's like, you know, that's the first time. I'm sure that you might not be lying to me. But I think... Between then and then obviously what the experience they just had, it's like, no, okay, I trust you. I mean, not that there was a whole lot of other options at that moment, but I still think she did it out of trust and not out of like succumbing to Alita's demands. Yeah. So then we've got kid Alita and it's just kind of like, uh. but then she zones out to her AI and real Alita walks right up behind her. Fuck yeah, she does. She's in the episode. We have won the jackpot. Not dead. We love Alita. (laughs) Which we knew. I mean, be real. We knew that. We knew she wasn't. We love her. We love Alita. And on this podcast, we stand Alita. So getting to see her in person in the episode, oh, chef's kiss. Yeah. And she is a very different person in this moment than what we have seen of her so far. Now, of course, the last time we saw her in the quote-unquote present was her night with doing the surgery and taking Flynn into the Godfont room and all that, right? That's the last time we've seen her Yes, in the present, if you will. The pilot was the last time that we saw her. Oh, as far, yeah, as far as like quote-unquote current day, everything yeah. else has been flashbacks for her, including her whole thing with Grace. Ugh, Grace, may you not rest in anything. But she is a very, very different person, even from that moment, but especially the one that we've seen before, like when Will found her the first time or when she was, you know, going through the stuff with Grace or whatever. This is this is not that Alita. She's got her head on straight, I feel like. Does that make sense? She's acting sane for the first time. Like, she isn't playing a game here. It, this uh-uh. is the first time it doesn't seem like she's playing a game. She's not talking in riddles. She's not being cutesy. She's not, you know, being what we've come to expect from her. She is being straightforward and blunt. And she asks Wilf, 
you know, does this look familiar? And it's the camp where they first met. And she's like, you don't remember, do you? And Wolf is like, I was too young. And she's like, you were seven. Seven's a young for a lot, but not for remembering. Yeah, not for like the slaughter that I'm about to bring up. Yeah. And she's like, the reason you don't remember is because you're not supposed to. Our implants basically suppress memories in addition to immunizations and other stuff. And Wolf is like, everyone knows that. They blunt trauma. And Alita is like, well, do you know what happened when I ripped out mine? And Mm. Wolf's like, yeah, you lost your immunity boost. You're going to fucking die. (laughs) (laughs) May I please say there always has to be something. So from all the way back when they first showed up, when Wolf and Flynn went into the surgery room and found it, Chekhov's implant, anybody? (laughs) Because it is back and it now plays a role which is well beyond the idea of immunity. It's yeah, not suppressing, so. it's not blunting trauma. Like there are things that they wanted these people to forget. Yeah. And so Alita ripped hers out and she started to remember everything. And she explains that there are bodies under this beautiful green turf field. There are thousands and thousands of bodies. And she commands her peripheral, her childhood peripheral, to dig a hole. Anywhere. Just start digging. Anywhere. Just just, just start digging. Just dig a hole. Anywhere. And this girl digs, I swear to God, like three inches down, and there's just a human skull. <laughs> That's okay. We're, we're packed for time here, okay? It's fine. <laughs> and, and definitely got the point across of, like, literally, you can just pull up the, the sod from anywhere. Yeah, pull up the sod. It's like it's like the the mass they created the mass grave, and then they just went to the store and bought sod and like laid it on top, and they're like rolled miles of it. Just rolled some new sod on. And Alita explains that Wolf's mother is here, his sisters, his little brother, and he would remember them if he would just cut himself free. And guess who did all this awesome stuff to their families? It would be Lev's father. The Klept. Mm-hmm. They were running things by the time that they basically committed a genocide, genocide. on the contagion camps. Mm-hmm. I like how we were both like, should we say genocide? Yeah. No, it's for genocide. sure genocide. It's genocide. And it wasn't just the camps that they were in. There was contagion in the camps and they wiped it out all over England as in a coordinated effort. Five million people in under a fortnight, and they suppress their memories because they still fear the people. If the people remembered that this happened to them, that they killed all of these people in the camps because they were afraid that their aristocratic asses might get sick from contagion. So they're like, well, this will kill. It's the same mentality that Sharice and Lev have towards the stub. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's something wrong with this with this community. Well, there's like a chance that it might affect us negatively in some way. Just get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's. I mean, that is sick. That is just next level. I mean, like I don't even know what to say about that. They just act like that's just a thing that you do. Oh, a community a community might might give me a cold. Well genocide and that's that's the that's the mentality and it's really disgusting absolutely and so i'm wondering 
Do the implants have anything to do with immunity at this point? No, they probably don't. That's probably yeah. just a lie. Yeah. Because, I mean, Alita's still alive, and so is her little army, because she says that they still fear us, and Wilf goes us, and then in the beauty of TV, we pan slightly to the side, and we see a small gathering of people who have presumably all removed their implants and remember the bullshit that happened, that got their families killed, and they are pissed. And she says that she's gathering a little army to render justice. And he's like, what do you possibly think you can accomplish with this rabble? Because he's still part of the cleft and has been conditioned to think that neoprims are just crazy rabble. Shatter a few windows. And he's like, I'm sure you're going to terrify the cleft and the RI. And Alita assures him all that they need are the proper tools which are the secrets to every wonder that the R.I. has ever built. Infinity in the palm of your hand. And he goes, where would you possibly get that? Inside the girl's head. Cut away. I have entitled my next section in my notes, Jasper's Whole Thing. <laughs> yeah, because Jasper finally makes a re recurrence. He still hasn't searched for the fishers, but I guess now he can claim... Uh, grief because Corbell is comatose and now the lackeys are fighting over who's going to be in charge just assuming that he's dead the uh, main one is like what did they give him like I don't know a 10% chance or anything so they're they're very much wanting him gone which is no surprise they don't take Jasper seriously at all though he just and he just kind of folds to it like all right when he says there's four of them and they're like, really? Are there though? That's brutal. Well, the main one is like, let's say that you approached this like that thing that the Romans did when there were three emperors and none of them know what it's called. They're all like, hmm, um, um, because they're dumb. And Jasper is like a triumvirate. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, that's it. We're going to do one of those. And he's like, yeah, but there are four of us. And they all laugh in his face and they're like yeah you can still drive for us jasper wash our cars and shit Ugh. and then they finish off their pitcher of beer shove it in his face and go why don't you go fetch us another one of these and put it on your uncle's tab if they're still honoring it Ugh. man and oh that guy's name is atticus i just remembered like what a dumb name for him Actually, I actually like the name, just not for him. He's gross. He, like, he was named to be something more than a drug dealer's lackey. Right. One would think. But he, so when he's getting the beer, there's this look that comes over his face that tells me, uh, I think maybe this guy's had enough. And this is the moment that we learn that the guy playing Jasper is capable of acting because it's been the first time that he's had to act. Oh, I know he hardly ever has to do anything. He hardly ever has to do anything. The poor guy hasn't got to emote much because Jasper just doesn't emote. And now we get to see his face where he like he looks like he's fucking finished with these people. Yeah, because the biggest thing we've seen about Jasper, I would say like the the biggest scene that he has had has been when Corbell was 
murdering the cartel. And that was a child actor because obviously it happened a long time ago. So yeah, this is the first moment that he's getting to sink his teeth into anything. And the next few minutes is definitely something to sink your teeth into. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's good. It's it's really good. He has been pushed to his limit. Uh, we cut to them leaving the bar. The three idiots wouldn't even call them the three stooges. That would be that would be dishonoring the three stooges. Yeah. They get into the car and Jasper's driving them. And one of them is like, open the fuck wind window, open the window. Uh. He's like so drunk he can't even talk. And Jasper's like, fine, whatever. And then he vomits on the window. Okay. And they're like, haha, Jasper, you're going to have to clean that up now, too. Ha 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 ha. And we cut to Jasper driving, and they're all passed out. And Jasper realizes this is his moment. Take what your what your uncle taught you. Sometimes you have to be, what is it, an asshole just for the animalistic pleasure of it. Ugh. But you know what? Unlike his uncle, not to, I'm not trying to justify murder, but unlike his uncle, I can see why Jasper's doing this. Well, and that's what I really like about this episode is they've given us, because like we don't need a side story about Jasper and his idiot friends, like friend, quote unquote friends. Right. We don't need a side story about it, but we, we need what Jasper does to happen. But they give us enough context where even if we're like, this is a really fucked up thing to do. And this is like your uncle's teachings coming out in you finally taking hold and coming out in you because you've been pushed to your limit. We understand what that limit was that he's been pushed to it. And we can see where his headspace is and why he would make the decision that he makes. And that decision is, to park his car, not his car, the car, on the train tracks, lock the doors, and watch from the bushes. So Jasper goes and he hides in the bushes. And he, like, this guy, you can tell, he's, like, really second-guessing the decision this, like, moment after he locked those doors. Question. Did you think he was going to do it? I saw the promo for the next episode last week. And it was a car getting hit by a train. So, Oh, so you knew it was going to happen one way or another. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. I didn't know if I like I was like, oh, he's good. I figured that he was going to try and stop it. What Mm -hmm. I didn't anticipate was that he wasn't going to leave the decision up to himself. He was going to put it on his wife. Okay, this call, though, is so sweet. He's in the bushes, right? Because I, I, I kind of don't understand like what his plan was as far as how Getting he was going to get out of it. Yeah, the fact that there would not be a driver. The fact, I mean, there's a lot going on with how potentially not smart this is. But I mean, one, he's acting in the moment, and then two, we don't really have much reason to believe Jasper's all that smart anyway. Even though he definitely, they showed, I think, is smarter than the uh, lackeys with his recall of the triumvirate but there's a lot of issues here that definitely show he didn't think it through which is fine he's acting completely on emotion and at that point i don't blame him but he calls her he calls billy ann and she's just the whole time trying to figure out like what time is it why are we talking what is happening and he's just talking through this story about the time that they were all playing monopoly and because Jasper kept winning and he had so much money that he was letting other people borrow it. And he did it to the point 
where Burton ended up winning because of everything Jasper had given away. And he told Billy Ann, you said to me that night that I would never amount to anything if I didn't stop mistaking weakness for kindness. And Billy Ann jumps back and she's like, I didn't mean it. The whole reason I married you is because of how kind you are. And he's like, well, why did you say it? And she's like, I just wanted you to win for once. I felt like you deserved it. And she's like, what is this about? Why are we having this conversation? And at this moment, you hear a train horn. You see the light approaching. Jasper freaks out. He's like, I was about to make a huge fucking mistake. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Foom. Hangs up. Runs to the car. Starts slamming on it. Trying to open the doors. Realizes he locked the keys in it. Because at the moment when he did that, he was like, no second guessing. And then he second guessed hard. Mm. And it's too late. He's trying to wake up Atticus and the other idiots. Cash. Cash. He never says the other guy's name. It's just Atticus and Cash. I guess the other guy can fuck off. He can get hit by a train. <laughs> well, I mean, they can all fuck off at this point. They don't hit us have an option because he tries to throw a rock through the window. And ultimately, he has to run to the side of the road as... I believe the only way this happens is in TV. The train hits the car. The train keeps on trucking. Sure. Doesn't seem... Like nothing happened. Like nothing happened. The car gets hit, explodes, conveniently falls off the front of the train to the side of the road, and the train just passes on by and is like, hmm, must have hit a rabbit. <laughs> and <laughs> Jasper is left to, he like tries to run up and see if anybody survives, but then the car explodes a second time because it's TV and that's what happens. Yes, and in this case, though, I do appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Because... Clearly, the second explosion is much like in this show, lying in your own pool of blood. They're dead. Okay, this is not a question. Yeah, not- this is this is the the TV show being like, yeah, you thought they might survive, but look at this explosion. Definitely yeah. dead. So this is different than the idea of Corbell surviving because if Corbell wakes up, he's got a shit ton to say. That's really gonna screw with Tommy. In this case for Jasper, this is just going to be about nothing but consequences because they are very dead and he was clearly driving. So now what? I mean, he can make up some stories because I can see it going a few ways. Like him making, granted, I feel like him and Billy Ann are going to have some scheming to do in season two. Ooh. I look forward to it. I'm not above it. I'm not above it. No. I'd like to see what Adeline could do with that. So we we jump over to Flynn riding her bike home. And on the side of the road before the property driveway is Tommy in his truck. And he stops her. As she's a like, friend. As, as a friend. <laughs> yeah, he stops her as a friend. It's always as a friend. He's got to remind you constantly. She's like, I heard about the train, the train crash, Tommy. He's like, that's not why I'm here. I know you're keeping secrets. And I don't want you to give me a line. I get it. But I got a phone call from Homeland Security, right-wing militia chatter, serious enough for Homeland Security to sound the alarm. Given all the weird shit that's been going on with you guys, do you know anything about it? And she's like, well, what is it? And he goes, they're planning to blow up a missile silo. You know that Air Force silo down towards Spring Creek, the big one? And Flynn's face is just like, fucking Sharice. (laughs) Yeah, this is all the red flags. 
Yeah. So someone, this actually came from one of our reviews, and I'm glad I read it last week, brought up the fact and wondered if we noticed that in this scene, the last time we saw Tommy was at the clinic, lying to Dee Dee, face all jacked up. His face is fine. And I went and looked back at like the the way he looked last and the way, I don't know. I feel like it shouldn't be. I think, so I think there's two things going on. I think we don't know the passage of time between when Tommy killed. We don't know the passage of time ever, basically, in the show. Because Correct. we've been watching this show for eight weeks and we just put together in the last episode that it's only been like a week and a half for Flynn. Mm-hmm. So we don't n- know necessarily how much time has passed since the clinic incident. Cause that was the last time we saw Tommy. Right. So it could have been like Corbell's been in the coma for two weeks and Tommy's face healed. But I will tell you as somebody who's recently suffered a pretty severe face injury that required a bunch of stitches and is, is healed. It's, it's been about two weeks. It's healed. I got a gnarly scar from it. Mm-hmm. And Sir Thomas has no scars. And now I know in TV shows, as soon as somebody's healed, they don't have scars. Right. No, no need for makeup. Let's just move on. Let's just move on. So I think it brings up an interesting question as to when Flynn resets the stub. Exactly. Is this new timeline Flynn? Right. We can't answer it. Very interesting question. But no, it can't it can't be a new timeline, Flynn. Why not? Well, it could be new timeline, Flynn. It's oh, it's all timey wimey wibbly wobbly. Yep. <laughs> I feel like you hate this part. <laughs> I hate this, but this, this is gonna like I like I will post a picture when it happens, but I'm gonna get some like big brown paper, put it on a wall, and start attaching strings with tacks and stuff <laughs> really shortly. Yeah, I've done it before for a TV show. I will do it again. Yeah, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> this is the stuff that like makes my brain melt into like just goo. Tommy gets blown off and Flynn calls up Macon and tells him to get the headset ready because she's got to go back. And Flynn comes to where Flynn's peripheral was with Ash and Ash is like, why are you back? Like, where's, like, she's like, where's Wolf? And Ash is like, why are you back? And Flynn explains, she's like, that silo explosion, the one we saw in the Jackpot Museum, Sharice is trying to make it happen in my timeline. And Ash has no poker face. No. She's not even trying to, I don't know, maybe that shows there is good in her or something, but she's not even trying to deny She's not it. even trying. And Flynn's like, you already knew. What the fuck have you done, Ash? And Ash explains the data you and Alita stole from the RI, it's stored in DNA. And Flynn, for plot reasons, is like, sure. oh, the stuff in my brain. Yep. That one was solely for plot. Every time Flynn has an epiphany with that, where you're like, that's not the first logical jump, plot. And Flynn's like, the shit in my head, the reason I've been having these fucking seizures. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what is it? And Ash explains, it's probably the entire library, all of... R.I.'s research, enough to wreak havoc in your world and in mine, and Lev now knows about it. 
And she's like, I can't let the clep get a hold of it. So I told Sharice Newland I didn't have a choice. And Flynn's like, so she's going to vaporize my entire fucking state just to get rid of me and my family and make sure that Lev doesn't get his hands on that data. And this is my life. This is like everyone that I love. This is just a fucking game to you, isn't it? And she storms off. And Ash is like, wait, where are you going? (laughs) And Flynn is just not looking back, says to us, says to us, doesn't care if Ash hears. Yeah, because Ash said that this has gotten to the point where it's a game where the winner takes all. Yeah, and Flynn just, like, says to us, not very loudly, I'm going to win. Chills again. Like, that that is the moment where I'm like, okay, you guys, she is done. (laughs) Flynn is fucking finished. This is like Clark Griffin pulling a lever. Like, she's done. Oh, yeah. It is over, and everyone is fair game now, so let's do this thing. We cut to a decrepit warehouse where Flynn is waiting for Connor to come into his peripheral. And she needs to propose a plan. Now, we don't get to hear what all the plan is, but we get to hear that Connor is who she needs, along with Lobier, for her plan to work. And basically, she's like... Sharice is planning on blowing up the silo over in Spring Creek, wiping us all out just to make sure I'm dead. So I came up with the idea to open a new stub. And Connor is like, he's probably flashing back to their reboot conversation Mm -hmm. because he's like, you want to reboot like a sim? And Flynn's like, fuck yeah, I do. But I'm going to need your help in low beers too. I was struck at this moment. Exactly like you said, obviously this calls directly back to the cold open and that's why we had that scene. Very cool. This also reminds me, and don't misunderstand me, I know why she's not asking Burton. I know why she's not putting him, you know, that on him. He'd sacrifice himself in a second if he could, all that sort of stuff. But ultimately it's on her. And I found it very interesting that it calls right back to the line when Beatrice and Lobier were talking about how Burton is the more, you know, dependable one. But in a crisis, she would turn to Connor. And she couldn't say why. But it's obviously this issue of, like, feelings. And that's why Beatrice, in whatever she actually is, like, didn't understand it. And here we have Flynn, who we've talked about back and forth this entire season, about the balance, right, between strategy and emotion and I think right now this is where she finds her balance which I think is always skewed more toward emotion but she also has come up with an amazing plan it's such a good plan and basically we jump over to uh, Lobier's office where Flynn is recruiting her for her plan she explains it's a black hole In a sim, you can get to a level where no matter what you do, you end up dying over and over because you made some mistake earlier in the game without even realizing it. And Lobier is like, I wish it hadn't come to this. And then Flynn's like, when we first met, I asked you if you had the power to sever the connection to my stub. Do you? No. What about opening a new one? And Lobier is like, I know how to do that, but the I can't because the powers at play in this world, that'd be that'd be a declaration of war the way she said it 
to me was very much like, and this is the line I have to give you. <laughs> I am obviously not going to do this because war and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, I can't do it. it. It's it's like when the when the cop is working with like a confidential informant is like, well, legally, I can't break and enter into <laughs> this store to find the evidence that's going to close the case. But, you know, if it, somebody who weren't a police officer were to do right. it. Yeah. So Flynn, like no hesitation, just is like, I'm going to need you to open a new stub. And Lobier is like, OK, if I understand this correctly, you're proposing a rather radical plan. And Flynn is like, yeah, it's going to be great. Sharice will think she won and that you helped her do it. We'd have access to all the data Alita stole, which would save my world from the jackpot. And Lopier's just like, you do realize how daunting the odds are. Perhaps an ally might benefit you, like your brother. And Flynn's like, nah, I got Connor. We're good. Yeah. And so Lopier is like, okay, all right, all right, we got it. The RI has several sites that are called stub portals. And <laughs> because even reasons. Because, yeah, stub portal. They, they couldn't be creative with everything. <laughs> And even the guards don't know where they are because the guards bamf into peripherals and they guard the facility and then they bamf out so they don't know the location of it. So it's so secret no one knows where it is. And Flynn's just like, okay, send me to one. And Lobier's kind of like, okay, but you do understand that like the guards are going to be in peripherals, which means that they have your like super ninja powers too. And Flynn is just like, I'm so good at video games. Like, it doesn't even matter. She's also like, yeah, but they don't have the motivation I do. So let's do this thing. So Flynn arrives at this location, which appears to just be the side of a building. And there's a door. And she tries, I've arrived because that's worked in the past. Great callback. Yeah. But it does not work. Then a janitor who, like, janitor out of nowhere, a guy with a broom comes up from, like, across the street and is like, can I help you with something? <laughs> After Flynn has noticed a retinal scanner in, like, hidden in the, next to the door. And she's like, maybe. Can I ask you a question? Is it still queasy when you get back? Or did they <laughs> fix that? <laughs> when you wake up in your real body after your shift in this peripherals done. And then they fight. As always, excellent. As always, as always, they fight. Flynn gets the uses the broom that the random janitor out of nowhere is holding, and gets him to choke hold. Holds his granted, he's like really bad at his job because I'd have closed my eye. But she gets him in a choke hold with the broom and pushes his eye up to the retinal scanner, which lets them in. And then she snaps his neck with the broom, sure. as you do. And then we see. Flynn walk in and there's a pocket watch sitting on the ground. So she picks up the pocket watch and picking this up makes the facade that is of like a Renaissance painting down at the bottom of the flight of stairs disappear. And inside there are five peripherals that are like powered down currently, but they start as Sharice gets notified that somebody picked up the stopwatch. She's kind of like, son of a, Bitch. So she activates one peripheral, gets its ass kicked, activates more peripherals, they get their asses kicked, activates more peripherals, all five peripherals, all get their asses kicked. So Flynn takes 
the pocket watch and plugs it into a little slot on this table and it opens like a stub interface. It's like a timeline tree. And -hmm. you see in 2032, a branch comes off or sometime before 2032. 2032 is where that stub currently is at. It was branched off earlier and it's at 2032. And then as Flynn's like doing this, she knows how to use this interface. I guess Loger gave her the entire like DL on how to create a new stub. Sharice comes through the one peripheral that is like crippled on the floor, but still conscious and says, you really think you could escape me so easily. And Flynn responds, you have a bad habit of taking control of dying things. Sharice. Sharice says, you have no idea all you're putting into peril. And Flynn responds, they're all here. Aren't they all these other lives? All I got to do is choose where I want to begin. And Sharice goes, wait, I will find you. I give you my word. And Flynn responds, oh, I wouldn't be so sure, Sharice. I think I want to be the hunter now. You see, I know exactly where you are, and you have no idea where I'm going to be. Not without the coordinates. So what happens is Flynn creates a branch off of the, so there's like the main timeline. There's the branch off that is Flynn's current timeline that's in 2032. And then at some point, in that branch, Flynn has branched off another mm-hmm. and created a new stub. And then as she finishes this, she picks up the stopwatch because the new stub has been created. A new timeline has begun. She crushes the stopwatch in her hand and effectively destroys any chance of Sharice figuring out where she created this stub. Okay. I have a question. Yes. Why did that do that? Uh, no, the bigger question is there are more of these, right? Of the stub portals and all that. So I had a little bit of a question about why at at the RI, at another stub portal, at the Godfought room itself, would they not be able to see where the portals are? I'm sorry, where the, where the timelines diverge. I think that probably this is, I'm going to say it's probably a case of their own security biting them in the ass. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they had created each stub portal. Like after they created the initial stub, they created these stub portals so they could do it again, but they made them not intercommunicatable. No, that makes perfect sense. Yep. That was kind of my thought process, but I, I did kind of get hung up on that for a second. Like, wait, she literally has no other way to access exactly what the tree looks like now it's probably sharice's own paranoia coming back mm-hmm. to bite her in the ass yep i'm totally down with that let's go with it all right so then we cut back to the conversation that connor and flynn had in the abandoned destroyed building in in 2100 in a different part of london that hadn't been rebuilt yeah so we get the rest of this conversation because we'd only been given little glimpses to start with Yeah, so we get Connor saying, you're saying what I think you are. You want to reboot like in a sim. And Flynn's like, it could save us, Connor, but I'm going to need your help in Lowbeers too. If I can pull it off, there'll be whole new versions of us there. Ones that Sharice will have nothing to do with. We'd be safe there. And then Connor is like, but dead in our own world. And Flynn goes, unless I'm already gone, then she'd have no reason to blow up that silo. Burton said in Texas, you once shot somebody two kilometers out. And Connor can't help but 
make it like make a little dig. He's like, Burton's full of shit. It was at least three clicks. <laughs> I love Connor and his humble brags. <laughs> yeah. Like this was obviously the time to make that joke. You know, I, lo- this, I just love it. This was his moment to make that joke because he knows this conversation's about to get real fucked up. Mm-hmm. And Flynn says, this thing that I'm talking about, it have to look like Lobier sent someone as a favor to Cherise, solving her problem for here. You understand what I'm asking you, Connor. And he's like, yeah, I get it. What about this world? Are we done with it? And Flynn's like, no, we'll be back. And Connor's kind of like, why? Like, we, we, you'll effectively have, like, saved yourself and all of our problems. And Flynn is just like, because I'm going to kill that bitch. Yes, do it. And Connor laughs and is like, yeah, yeah, you are. I think that this is a great plan because of what Sharice has on the line as well. She didn't want to lose this stub or to mess up everything they were doing. I mean, she said the cost was going to be her own experimentation. So if she really believes that Flynn is gone, even though I'm not sure she fully should, but she wants to believe that, I think, because she doesn't want to lose everything that they've been working on. Yeah. And so Flynn is just, she's like, if it helps any, I've made peace with it. I'll just take, take a walk out past Hawthorne Creek and I'll count back from 10 in my head. Which is a callback to early on in the pilot, the first time she put on the new headset. Burton tells her to count back from 10 and she does. And that when she gets to one, it's in that very moment that she is like slung into Burton's peripheral on the motorcycle. And so we, we cut to her taking the walk and it made me weep like a little baby. It is so much. And there are so many ways they could have done it. They could have been, I think super lazy and just showed her walking out in the shot. But this actual countdown murdered me. I'm going to let you take it because like, I have a feeling that if I start talking about it, I'm going to get really emotional. So I don't do that. So you got to, you got to take this one. That's fine. I can hold it for like 10 more minutes and then I will do the same thing, but yes, I can go through it. So there are so many things they could have chosen to do or not to do this. This scene could have been shortened so much, but the fact that it wasn't speaks to, again, the central part of this, story and this narrative being about Flynn Fisher and the people that she loves. So regardless of where she restarted the timeline, which we can talk about whenever, this is quote unquote old Flynn. This is the Flynn that we've been following the entire time. And she is basically marching to her execution, which she ordered essentially It's being pulled off by someone that she loves dearly who kind of wanted to bring Burton in. And it was just like, hard no, she can't do this to him, even though in a way what she's doing to him is even worse. Well, yeah, because he needs to continue living because he's going to continue living in this timeline. Right. With the knowledge that he killed her, Mm -hmm. but that she's still alive. Oh, it's oh. Yeah, because they won't be able to have any communication, as far as we know, between the timelines. 
they don't have the the technology to do that there without the RI. Well, yeah, and then the thing is, Sharice would think that her 2032 timeline is saved because the data is destroyed in Flynn. But like, if I'm thinking about this correctly, maybe I'm not. Okay, okay, I have a question because I've just confused myself. Okay. Flynn dies in 2032. She's created a stub that offshoots before her death. Correct. So 2032 stub is now in effect. Sharice doesn't know. She knows of, but she doesn't know when or how to access the new stub off that Flynn created. Right. Presumably only Lobeer does because she knows the time that it happened. Correct. So is Sharice going so Sharice is going to leave 2032 alone completely, or is she going to continue to use that as her primary stub because she knows about it? So she'll still continue her jackpot stuff, her jackpot research. And Connor and Burton are left. Well, Burton is just going to be devastated. Mama's just going to be devastated. But and Mama doesn't dead. have long. Yeah. She'll be dead. But Connor has to go on living, watching the jackpot, waiting for the jackpot to happen or not happen, knowing that if Flynn fails, his world is going to end regardless. But if Flynn succeeds and he gets to live a full life, she survived. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, I don't I don't see how any of that would be incorrect. So right now, we have three timelines. Okay. We have the 2100 timeline, which earlier though. All of our people did exist. So let's look at 2032 across the board. In timeline A, the 2100 timeline, at this point in 2032, they had not messed with anything that's, you know, the haptics, all that. They hadn't sent anything back. So in quote unquote regular war, Burton is dead. Connor is fine. They all go on. This is when Flynn marries Tommy. They have a couple kids. They go on. That's what happened in that first timeline. And then the jackpot happens and we end up with... With 2100. Yes. Right. In the second timeline, which is the one, which is the 2032 we've been following the whole way. Let's call it stub number one. Okay, that's fair. In stub one, everything we have seen, we have followed... Flynn throughout the entire thing. If it is, if I understand this correctly, wherever she chooses to insert herself to create stub two, it needs to be pretty recently because one, she needs to know about all this stuff. And two, she needs to actually have the bacteria in her head. Right. So it has to be after the moment that she first started playing the sim found out it was real all that stuff my guess is she doesn't go back very far i mean we're only talking about right a couple weeks one way or another well she can't go back very far because the flynn that we've been following right is dead yes the flynn well let's let's pause for a second do you want to kill her first let's kill her first and then let's talk about it (sighs) okay Let's kill Flynn. So they actually take the root here of giving such a peaceful scene and allowing her to narrate the countdown. I can be extremely picky about how narration's done, how it's used, because a lot of times 
I feel like it's telling part of the story, you know, in a very much like tell, don't show kind of way. This was perfect to me. It's literally just Flynn counting down. It's her counting down. But the way, not only that they let her do that, which I loved, but the interjection for her of flashbacks and the things that she is seeing and thinking about in her final moments, call back to, again, this was not necessary for plot. This was out of love for this character. Agreed. A hundred percent agreed. This is Flynn's moment. So she is counting down 10 and she sees Burton. Nine, she sees Billy Ann. Eight, she sees Connor. The person who's about to kill her, by the way. But it doesn't matter. It's, it's not like there's a rift between them. I mean, it's, just, it's beautiful what's happening between them right now. Number seven, and that was when Mama could see again. Six, Tommy's laughing and also melted in with the old Halloween memory that she had been visiting in her you know, home video sim. Five and four is Burton holding her hand in Dee Dee's clinic for the lumbar puncture. Three and two is the last time with her mom on the porch where they had that conversation about her power growing and what Flynn might get up to if, you know, she's free, essentially. And then she says, one, the camera pulls way back, pans way out into the woods. All we see is the trees. And then we hear the gunshot. And, and the birds, birds flying away. Yep. And then our Flynn, kind of, <laughs> our Flynn is dead. She is dead. And then we cut to black. And you think, oh my God, they're ending the season on this? <laughs> what kind of fucking masochist? And then we cut to 2100, where Flynn comes to in her peripheral and sitting across from her in like a little cafe is Lobier sipping some tea. And she just goes, shall we get to work? Mm. And that is the end of the episode proper. We're going to get to a post credit scene in a second. But we need to unpack this because this is where I have a question. But I wanted us to get through killing Flynn before I asked it. Okay. Go. So this Flynn, presumably what happened is one of the times that Flynn comes back to 2100 between... When Lobier met Flynn and now, which we don't know how long that's been. It could be two days. It could be two weeks. Mm -hmm. Ever sometime after that initial meeting, one of the times that Flynn, probably one of her unscheduled visits, Lobier absconded with the Flynn peripheral and sat her down at the cafe because that was the time they agreed that Flynn was going to divert into a new stub. So Flynn wakes up in the peripheral, expecting, not knowing necessarily where she'll be because she's always with someone different, but being like, this bitch? I don't think so. No? Okay. Tell me what you think. So... I had been thinking about it in bigger terms, but now we've actually just narrowed it even further. Flynn, in my estimation, could not, because at first I was like, maybe she goes back to 2028 and then she's like saving people. Nope, 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 nope. Can't do that. My guess, or my understanding, is that 
she would need to diverge to stump two after she had the plan to do so. Okay, so she didn't diverge before she had the plan so that... Okay, okay. Because the new one would have to know what to do. Know what to do? What do you mean? The new Flynn. Oh, would have to know to take a walk. No, that's not new Flynn. That's old Flynn. Okay, what's the point where Flynn, like, that Flynn would have to know what to do? Flynn would have to know with the information that she has that she's going to have to create the new stub, do all that, you know, do all that stuff before she gets killed. But to me, she could go back any time between the time she started this plan and the time that she dies. Why does she need to know the plan? I don't understand why she needs to know the plan. Because why else would she go back to Lobier? I'm saying that Lobier, she didn't go back to Lobier. Lobier, what they know they have all of the times recorded when Flynn has come to 2100. Lobier was like, okay, what what time are you are you picking? And she absconded with the Flynn, like AI Flynn controlled peripheral. And Flynn pops in and she and she's like, okay, I thought I was gonna be at like Love's Mansion. Why am I with you? So you think that new Flynn doesn't know what they're doing? No. I think Lobier has to fill her in and be like, this is what happened. So you think then it could be any time after she met Lobier? Or yeah. is that even necessary? No, meeting no, Lobier I think would be necessary. I think meeting Lobier would be necessary because there's no way that Flynn would believe her without having met her. Right, 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 right. So... See, I was under the impression, or I'm still under the impression, that we have kind of a moment here somewhere in, you know, scenes we're not shown, that we have two Flynn's. Oh, so like Flynn went back a time we didn't see? Correct, because she made the stub. So the moment she made the stub, there's another Flynn. It's just we don't know exactly when that was. So we now have three Flynn's. Well, and a two and a dead one. I mean, obviously, timeline number one, she's dead too. But you, you get what I'm saying. Oh, we, so you're thinking that... Okay, hold on. Give me, give me two seconds. I'm, you're trying to... I'm, I'm, I'm getting what you're saying. I just need to connect the dots. So you're saying that Flynn and Lobier, when they talked, and Flynn was like, okay, I'm going to create a new stub, and we're going to meet at this time, at this place, at this time, make sure I'm with you. Mm -hmm. Sure. And then, so Flynn, who died, knew to go to that meeting, but didn't. New Flynn went to the meeting. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think both I think I think both of our theories are plausible. Are both I think are completely plausible. It's just a matter of interpretation. Because I think that Flynn wouldn't want to open the door for old Flynn to fuck up in some way. So I think that she just had maybe an innocuous visit that didn't matter. 
hmm. low beer obscure. But then that that would change the timeline and create. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think know. she would have had to do it as close to the quote unquote end as possible. So maybe, so maybe, <laughs> maybe New Flynn in her timeline instead of taking the walk to the forest forest she went and got into the peripheral while old flynn went to die and basically told connor oh this is good told connor if i'm there you're in this stub you're in our current world if i'm not there you're in the new stub Hmm. because then that puts connor that gives her a a current day confidant in her plan yeah I like that. I like that theory. Let's go with that. Yeah. I don't, because I don't think, no, that's a good point. She wouldn't have been able. Okay. Let me think this through for a second. I apologize. There's a lot of thinking required in this episode of the pod. (laughs) I'm trying to think if she if she wouldn't have, because I was using her as the anchor point, right? About her needing to know. But I wonder if she wouldn't create the stub until after she and Connor had that conversation. So that he is fully cued in as well. Right. Like, I need you to kill me. I'm going to take a walk there and do this. Well, presumably she had the conversation with Connor before she had the conversation with Lobier. So I think that I think the window of when she opened the stub is now that we've talked this out and we've theorized for a long time. Hopefully you guys are enjoying it. I think that Connor is the anchor point because Connor needs to know if she's there at the at the creek or park or wherever the fuck it was. He's in the old he's in timeline number two, stub number one. He's in stub mm-hmm. number one. But if she's not there, that means that he's in the new stub and he needs to get back in the peripheral with Flynn. And they got they got fucking work to do. Yeah, because she already told him that they were yeah. going to be back. Yeah. So I think I think Connor, the, t- the time that her and Connor have that conversation is the anchor point. For when she could have done it. When she could have done it. So anytime between that conversation and... Her death. Right. So, because that conversation was before any of this, let's see. I'm trying to figure out if, besides obviously at the very end, I'm trying to figure out if New Flynn is anywhere in this this episode. She could be, though. She could be. New Flynn could be, but I don't think I don't think it's New Flynn with Tommy. I would agree with that because that was how she found out that she even needed to do any of this. Right. So I think that I think that that's just either a production mistake or the assumption that enough time had passed that Tom because Tommy's been hurt for a fucking hot second. Yeah, he, he has. finally healed. Yeah, with his old car flipping thing. Because we needed we needed time for Corbell to be in a coma for long enough for his lackeys to be like, he's probably dead. Right. Exactly. So when I first saw it, what I expected when she said, you know, I can do it from any time, like just before I was really thinking it through, I was like, oh, my God, she's going to go back and like 
stop Connor from being her and start, you know what I mean? Like really yeah. change stuff. But then first of all, she can't do that or else she would be so unaware that she'd be useless. Yeah. And second of all, because when she slid her, uh, slid up on the sub, she really did hit 2032. Yeah, she, yeah, she when, did. It was, it, it was this year. Right. So at the very least we can assume Without, I don't think anybody could argue this actually, that it it was at least after she started using the headset. But I agree with you, and I think where we've fallen from the back and forth and the twisty little thinking is that it happened after she and Connor had this conversation. But and I don't think anything that happened, especially going into well, I was gonna say going into create the stub. That's that's stupid. Yeah, we can't have Flint infinitely creating stubs. Yeah. <laughs> That was definitely old Flynn because New Flynn did not go back and create the stub for Oh Lord. So that was definitely old Flynn. And then that's the last thing that happens anyway, though. Right. But my point was no, it has to be after that. No, so we I don't think we see new new Flynn. No, I don't think so either. Anyway, I I think I think we might have theorized this to death, but th- I, this was fun conversation. I love oh, I, I love this stuff. Like that has been. I know you didn't get to watch the episode like right away, so I for whatever reason really couldn't sleep like that Thursday night. So when it came out at midnight here, I actually did turn it on and like watch the whole thing. And so I've been sitting on this mulling back and forth over that for ten days. <laughs> I unfortunately only finished the episode today. I had some life happen, which is why the episode has come out so late, which I apologize for. But sometimes life just gets in the way and and you can't do the things you want to do. It's true. So I've been mulling this over for about two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Your brain is not as broken yet. (laughs) No, but I'm glad that we, we, I, I feel confident in where we ended up. With our back and forth, because two I brains kind of help piece different parts of it together. So I will say this: it broke a little bit. Like just coming to that conclusion right now, broke a little bit of the potential hopes that I had that because she kind of saw what was going on, that she might have backed up a little bit to like put other people on a different path. But now that we've gone through that, I think that. Besides her dying, within a day or two of that, we have New Flynn existing, but new everybody existing, but like nothing that we have seen changed. Yeah, I mean, there there could be some timey-wimey stuff where it's like all this stuff was happening simultaneously, so like maybe Jasper didn't do what he did. Nope, he definitely did. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. Uh, some of the the so everything that we saw was all just set up for the next season of where the characters are going to be. This entire episode was them basically being like, "Okay, here are all your characters for next season, and where that where we're leaving them, and what their future foils are going to be." And then the main heart of the episode was Flynn winning for the time mm-hmm. being and Sharice. And make the ultimate sacrifice in the process because, like, there is, I mean, there is a guarantee that she isn't dying, but, like, she basically did what Lev did. Yes. And it's, like, 
a version of herself is deceased and there is an entire timeline. And I wonder if we're going to ever see the 2032 timeline from stub one ever again. Yeah. Are we going to get to see Burton grieve? Are we going to get to see Connor tell him or never tell him what actually happened? And then we have to see like, mama's not dead yet. So her daughter got murdered. Oh, I know. For the, the fact that she had to see that is mortifying. And then, I mean, then there's even like our characters like Billy Ann and like, fuck, Corbell, like all of them, like everybody who has stake in like the, in like Flynn in any way, shape or form, we have to see them deal with the outfalling of that. If we do see that, or we just leave it and be like, well, that's just a depressing timeline, guys. Let's just move on to stub number two. Right. So we have we have two kind of options and they both center around Flynn, because as far as we know, everything that happened to everyone else happened in both, essentially. Yeah. So we're just branching off. Even if it's a day or two, one way or the other, I'm with you. Yeah, We're just branching off from dead Flynn to live Flynn. Yeah. And they both had to exist for some amount of time, but it, I don't think it's particularly relevant either to her or especially to everyone else in the story. Now, the, the fallout will be completely different in the two stubs, but up till this point, because this this is what got me, right? Especially when you're talking about the the concept of the reboot and stuff, I knew that certain people were going to get mad as if like nothing that's happened matters. And that is like 100% not true. I think part of what is going to sell Sharice that Flynn actually did die is Burton and Connor coming back in the 2100 and wanting blood. Okay. Okay. Wait a minute. So now Oh, this can get interesting. We have two sets of Burton and Connor, and they know everything. Well, Bert, or Connor knows everything. Burton doesn't. Yeah, but Burton knows enough to know that everyone's been trying to kill them, and now his sister's dead. He right. knows about 2100. He's been, all that stuff. Well, so so now there's like a weird... Because there's one peripheral for each of them. Mm-hmm. There's three of them. Like, is it Connor convinces Burton to never go back to the future, even like, and just leave it alone because she's gone. They're going to leave him alone. So there's no reason to go back anymore. Or are we going to be fighting for control of the peripherals? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think like keep popping in and out and like someone's trying to hack because they think it's, oh, poor Macon. He, both of him. Both versions of him are going to be like, why is this guy so freaking good? It's like I'm fighting myself. Oh man. But this is this is something we have one more scene to get to. I I think we've theorized enough to melt all of your brains, listeners. I love it though. After coming out of this, I have so many more theories that I'm gonna have to really think through. And when we find out we're getting season two, like somewhere closer to that, I really want to dive into them, but obviously not in this episode. No, because the more I think on this, especially after we just kind of wove it together, the the more theories I have on where it could go. 
Yeah. So we have one final scene. It's a post credit scene. And it's Lev and his wife walking into a rich-ass club to have lunch with Lev's parents, his yeah. dad and his mom. And his wife is, like, kind of pissy and is like, oh, I always get stuck with your mother and it's blah, blah, blah. But, uh-oh, as they approach the table where they always have lunch, dad isn't present. But his mm-hmm. Russian partners are. So we did get the idea of, like, the Zubovs and the Samsonovs and all that. Like, the Klept are run by Russians. So whatever we think about that today, it just is what it is. They're, it's run by Russians. So... They grill him like uh, your dad couldn't make it, but he asked us to talk to you and they're discussing accepted practices and what they should do about the R.I. And Lev is so apologetic and I think it's so fake. Maybe not. Maybe there's just I mean, he's afraid, I'm sure. But he does handle himself very well in the way that he plays this game which is clearly a whole other game outside of the one that all of the pieces in the story are playing yeah i agree wholeheartedly with that so they basically they laugh at him they act like it's whole thing he's like the jasper of the future i feel like yeah seriously (laughs) they're like whatever you stupid boy um they definitely don't treat him as an equal, even though he's, like, definitely a grown-ass man. Like, not in his 20s or something, you know. This is, a, this is a grown man. But they still put him, you know, under his father's his father's kind of, like, watchful eye. So they tell him, like, it is time to cut bait. We will cauterize this wound. Every asset who returns to you needs to vanish. A.K.A., I would say, Ash, Ossian, Wilf. I mean, everybody, essentially, in 2100. If the people who were working with you or for you come back, like, take them out. Well, presumably, Wolf is now with the Neoprims in some fashion. We don't know. We don't know where. The beauty of this, too, is no time has to pass between seasons. Right. So Wolf is with Alita or knows where Alita is, has been brought into the fold in that front somehow. Ash and Ossian are putzing about doing what they're doing. <laughs> with their new master. With their new master. Lobier and Flynn are have a thing going with Connor. So there's a lot, there's a lot in the air here. But no time has to pass because we see the start of season two where Flynn and Lobier are getting to work. And we know that the time frame where we have diverged, at least with the 20... 32 people is where we're leaving them because no time has passed. So yeah, we're, we're just picking up where we left off. Nothing's really changing. Right. Yeah. That's the way I see it. I don't. Yeah. So it's just, it happens to be that stub one is going to flow directly into stub two, but I don't up until this point in the story, I don't see where there would be any differences except for obviously the walk or whatever. I mean, Flynn two or Flynn in stub two obviously didn't experience her own death. But well, yeah, ex- yeah, that's that's the only difference. Like Flynn number two didn't go on a walk, but yeah, so it's it's interesting. We've got we've got Wilf and Alita reuniting. We've got Ash and Ossian with their new master. We got Sharice being pissed that she knows there's another stub out there. She just doesn't fucking know when it is. <laughs> we've got Lev who is 
bowing to a much larger master. And he's already a sociopath, so woof. But I I did have one last question about that scene. And because they, they, in a not even roundabout way, threatened to kill his family, cut down the whole fucking tree. Like, we're done with you. Did they kill his dad? Maybe. I don't know. There was so much code in their conversation that I don't know how and we've never met these people so there's no way to read what they're saying like we're, we're missing the the cipher to understand that conversation yeah yeah because obviously he was threatening him and the wife and the kids and all that but I was just curious and I know they said you know he couldn't make it so he asked us to talk to you and that could easily have been we told him to stay home because this is our deal but I, I, it just kind of made me wonder, like, oh, did they already kill him? And now you're realizing that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. We, I don't think we have enough context for, with these three leader people of the CLEP to understand, like, to be able to decipher what the, like, the subtext of that conversation was. Yeah. Aside from the not subtle threat. I know, right? I'm definitely going to throw that in the bucket as a theory. Okay. I like it. Yeah. I, I don't know. It might have just been, honestly, a way to actually introduce his father because all that has ever been said about him is that like you know should we call your father's lawyers so he actually might end up being some sort of big bad all his own but i i just that's the second time they've mentioned him in such a way where it's like wait does this guy he actually might matter but then i was curious if they could so anyway it's probably more likely that he is alive and is going to matter that makes more sense it would not be It'd not be beneficial to have this like very powerful person, you know, come on scene for two seconds and throw a spear through their heart and have them being worth nothing. Yeah. So when we end, it is not as those who got upset and claimed, you know, well, all of that was pointless. It's like, no, it's not at all. Basically, we got what we would have gotten in theory if the story was completely ending, which is, you know, the hero sacrifices themselves for everybody else. But it just so happens that only happens in one fork. And then on the other fork, we just keep on trying. Keep on trucking. Keep going. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that that is a good discussion. I loved it. I loved it. (laughs) That's all I can say. I'm like, ah, it's so good. It's so good. And obviously this is a longer episode than our previous ones because we had to theorize and unpack a lot. So we hope that you enjoyed the episode. And if you'd be so kind as to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, that'd be much appreciated. So we also have a newish Discord server that we started recently for streaming Banshees, which is overall channel. And Mick and I are definitely in there talking about the peripheral. It's just TV in general. The channels are are different shows, and we like to engage with people in there. So feel free to come along. I will put that link both in the show notes and on Twitter when we post. So hopefully you will see that there. Feel free to come and chat with us. We definitely have, I know, a lot of things that are be coming up between now and season two that we definitely already got, and it's happening probably as we speak. So until then, uh, we actually have a, a really big surprise coming up in a, in a week or two of something that we get to do post-finale. So make sure you look out for that and don't miss our uh, last episode for the season. Yeah, and, and don't unsubscribe from the feed just because the season is over. We will be continuing to have some discussions, but we do have a surprise coming. So just keep an eye out for that. And until then, we'll see you soon. Bye.